بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Welcome to another edition of Al-Fiqh ala al-Madhahib al-Arba'ah that is jurisprudence according to the four schools of thought Mufti Abdul Qadir Hussain Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa rahmatullahi wa rahmatullahi wa alaykum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh Previously we discussed uh, nikah also we discussed the wisdom and benefits of nikah but inshallah today we will discuss the prohibitions the prohibited nikahs in Islam Mufti Sahib the first question reads what is nikah-i khadan? Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم أما بعد All praise is due to Almighty Allah the sustainer, nourisher and cherisher of this universe Peace, blessings and salutations be upon our beloved master and leader Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam When we speak of prohibited nikahs in Islam we must realize that the pagan Arabs had their own customs and traditions and Islam came with reforms and a system that is divine and not man-made that will be used for all times and all places by the entire human being, by the human human beings and by the Muslims especially because they would follow the Sharia. So what we need to realize is when we highlight these issues, it means that these nikahs, if you want to use the term, and these contracts were in vogue and existence at that time. So Nikahul Khadan was a person used to have a girlfriend and there was no real contract of Nikah or there was no marriage as such and they would not really find any problem living in and loving lover and if somebody saw them maybe one person would object but they would not really consider that to be something as uh, very much you know reprehensible so Almighty Allah revealed the verse both ways وَلَا مُتَّخِذِينَ أَخْدَانِ وَلَا مُتَّخِذَاتِ أَخْدَانِ For the men, you cannot have girlfriends and mistresses and someone you are hiding somewhere, although you might be looking after her. And likewise, for the woman, she cannot have a toy boy or a joy boy and whatever else they call them nowadays. So all that are prohibited. So that is what is meant that Nikahul Khadan is prohibited in Islam. Now in Islam, we do not only look at the verses of the Quran and finish. We need to understand the rationale and the wisdom behind it as well. If hypothetically you have a system like that, what are we doing? It means we are then promoting and advocating vices. We are promoting immoral system. And definitely this will lead to a society that has no morals. And we know in today's modern day society where we speak of freedom and we speak of democracy and whatever else, we can see the results of all that, the AIDS pandemic, and we can see the breakdown of the family structures. So the Quran has made it clear, وَلَا تَقْرَبُوا الزِّنَا إِنَّهُ كَانَ فَاحِشًا Do not even go near and approach fornication adultery because it is something obscene, indecent so that is the rationale that Islam has abrogated and cancelled this type of nikah Jazakallah Mufti Sahib the topic today is the prohibited nikahs in Islam Mufti Sahib the next question reads define nikah badal when we analyze the word badal, badal means an exchange. For example, when we trade in something, so I trade in my car and I purchase a car, so we call that a badal. 
And here in this context in Nikah, we are discussing, as I mentioned, those type of marriages that used to take place in the pre-Islamic days and Islam came to abolish them. And from here we can appreciate the Islamic system that it is a pure system, a system that is divine and chaste and promotes that type of behavior and attitude among people as well. So Nikah Badal was a person who tell another person who's married or he has a girlfriend or whatever that you give me your wife or give me your girlfriend and you take mine today what they call swapping today what they call you know the liberal system that they have so the swapping of girlfriends and wives all these things Allah forbid so this is mentioned in the Dara Kutani now when we speak of this we have the references as well to show that these things used to exist right in the time of Nabi salam in the pre-Islamic days. So imagine what an immoral system that a person willingly gives his wife to someone else and that person willingly gives his wife to the first person and the wives are also happy about this. Now Islam came to abolish all this immoral system. And if we look at the rationale, today science, technology, medicine has reached its pinnacle. But yet we know that Islam has not allowed that one garden must be irrigated with two uh, irrigation systems, if you want to use the term. And there's a term Nabi Salam may mention also, Wala taskima al You cannot go and irrigate somebody else's garden. So it means here that hypothetically, if Islam had to allow a system like this, then it means that Islam is allowing adulteration of the children. The children would not even know who their biological father really is, who really impregnated that woman. Today they have blood tests and they have all these tests, but we cannot say it is 100% foolproof. So Islam came with the divine and the great system that all these type of nikahs, they were called nikahs, Islam does not recognize it as a nikah and abolished it and totally abrogated it. So there is no place for this. And if any Muslim, Allah forbid, Allah forbid, does this today, then he'll be considered as one of the greatest transgressors and fasiks and fajir. And if he considers it permissible, Allah forbid, then he is out of the fall of Islam. Jazakallah Mufti Sahib. If you just join us, the program is called Al-Fiqh al-Madahib al-Arba'ah, that is jurisprudence according to the four schools of thought. Mufti Sahib, describe for us please the four types of nikah which Hazrat Aisha anha has mentioned. When we see and study the life of our mother, Sayyida Aisha radiallahu anha, she was not only the consort and the wife of Nabi salam, she was a great jurist, she was a great muhaditha, a lady who was well, well versed in hadith. And she was a lady, a master of the Arabic language, a linguist by excellence. So many merits and virtues our mother Sayyida Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha has. And she now speaks about the different types of nikah, educating the people that when you know what paganism and what the rotten culture and civilization of that time produced and Islam came with a divine and unique system, then you will appreciate it more because you compare things that this is what Islam says and this is what the pre-Islamic days used to teach and what their practice was. She says that the first type of nikah, that this type of nikah was called nikahul istibda. That is now that a lady, the husband would tell her 
that after she is now clean from her menses and her periods and her haze, that you go to certain, certain person and you sleep with him and she will continue sleeping with that person till that other person impregnates her. And what was the rationale according to that person? That Mr. ABC, Mr. XYZ, the person to whom he had sent his wife, he was a person in the higher strata of society. He was a person who was like, you know, considered as maybe the chief or someone who is looked up to. So when she gets impregnated by that person, so it will bring that false value system and elevate the woman and the child as well. So therefore he would send his wife there. So this nikah was called nikahul istibda, that the woman used to go and get impregnated by a person who was considered to be a noble person, if you can ever call this. So it's obviously, it's not noble in Islam, it's absolutely haram and not acceptable. So that was one type of nikah they would used to have in the days of paganism. And Islam obviously abolished all this. The second one, our mother Sayyida Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha says that a group of less than 10 people used to come to a woman and this is very similar to today you find the escort agency the brothels and whatever else Allah forbid so she used to allow up to 10 people and each one of them used to fulfill their last passion and desires with her then they used to have the good time now this lady fell pregnant and she conceived now she called all of them she used to tell them, each one of you had your fun and your joy enjoyment with me. And she used to point to one of them that you are now responsible for this baby and this child and you are now the father. So once she selects any one of them from those who were the eight, nine or whatever of them, then he had no opportunity to say that no, maybe somebody else was responsible. He would just accept it and this child's lineage would go to that person there. So that was the second type of nikah. It's obvious something immoral, something which we can never ever allow. Islam's unique feature is that inna likulli deen in khuluqa wa khuluqul islam al-haya. Nabi alayhi salatu salam said every religion has its own unique feature and characteristic and the unique feature and characteristic of Islam is haya, shame and modesty. Imam Malik has narrated this hadith in his Mu'atta and when we study the Quran we find one of the main objectives of nikah is muhsinina ghayra musafihin that you build a fort around your private part meaning you are fortifying yourself that oh Allah I will fulfill my lust and passions only with my wife the wife will only fulfill her lust and passions with the husband now imagine yeah free for all up to 10 people and they could come and enjoy themselves so that was also totally prohibited and kicked out from in Islam and definitely unacceptable the next type this would be the third type this was known as Nikahul Bagaya. This was straightforward prostitution as we have it nowadays as well, Allah forbid, and we find it today. Now mind the Kafir countries, we know every Western country, fornication, adultery is not a crime. They say that they are two consenting adults and if they want to fulfill their passion and lust, we will not interfere. That is their thinking and then they speak about AIDS, then they speak about illegitimate children, then they speak about broken homes. They inject the poison and 
and then they look for a remedy and a cure. That is how the mentality is. But we as Islam says, no, why light the fire in the first place? There should be no problems in fire. Look at the reasoning and thinking of Islam. So nevertheless, this was called the Bagaya. They used to, where they used to operate from, they're like a brothel nowadays. They would have flags there and anybody was welcome and they would come there and people know that they just pay them something and enjoy themselves and whatever else. So the difference between this one and the previous one was that the previous one would not exceed 10. This one, yeah, all welcome. You can be 100, you can be 50, you can be how many. So everybody would just come and fulfill themselves. Now that lady who is uh, impregnated and now she conceives, now she will call the kafia. The kafa is the person who who would see the features of the child and maybe she had a list or whatever, the customer's list, the black book or what, green book or whatever else they want to call it. So there she is to have that and then she knows that this person she slept with that person. Now this guy, if this person here, he would then say that this person so and so is the father of the child and he also could not now reject it or say that no, 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 I'm not the father. So today how they do blood test and paternity test and all those so it's very similar to that but obviously in those days it was done the person would look at the features the external features and so forth so that is how they would prove the lineage of this child Islam came to abolish that Islam will never allow any form of prostitution any form of immoral morality Islam is something that uh, teaches us to remain pure and chaste the Quran has mentioned so many verses on this topic so these are the three types and the fourth type our mother Sayyida Aisha radiallahu anha mentions is the type that is halal that a male now goes to the girl's father or he goes to the girl's guardian he proposes and then she gives permission and then and that her guardian rather gives permission and the daughter or the niece whoever the lady is she's also happy they get married they are witnesses and everything so obviously that nikah is totally permissible so this is how our mother Sayyida Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha described four nikahs three of them totally abrogated and unacceptable in Islam and one obviously Islam entrenched it and continued with it Jazakallah Mufti Sahib for that explanation Mufti Sahib we've heard of this terminology called muta can you explain to us what is muta? Muta when we study the term literally it means to take benefit now today this term has gained you know has become famous and gained currency if you want to use the term and the reason is that after the Iranian revolution so even in today if you go to Iran so it is something well known in the Shia circles and obviously they try and justify it what does the Quran the word of Almighty Allah tell us what does the hadith of Nabi Alayhi tell us we need to discuss this Obviously, it's a lengthy discussion, but we will just try and highlight the salient points. Number one, in Islam, the muta was permissible for a certain period. But what is meant by muta? The muta that is mentioned in the hadith is this, 
that a person who was a traveler, a person who was a musafir, he used to go to a certain town, to a certain province, and now in that case there what used to happen, that he needed a female companion, so now he would pay her, she would wash his clothes, she would fulfill his desires and everything, and they used to have a mutual agreement. So this was done initially in the stages of Islam. And sometimes people would go in war and then they would also meet up with the female or whatever and they would have a contract. There was a nikah also performed and that lady was happy to spend some time. So it means the benefit for the husband, he's fulfilling his lust and pleasure and the wife, the benefit was that she is now getting something in the, she's getting a free shelter and whatever else. So initially Islam allowed this. Thereafter, the Qur'an Sharif says, وَالَّذِينَ هُمْ لِفُرُوجِهِمْ حَافِذُونَ The quality of the true believers is that they guard their private parts. إِلَّا عَلَىٰ أَزْوَاجِهِمْ Except upon their wives. O مَا مَلَكَتْ أَيْمَانُهُمْ Or what their right hand owns. You know, in the days of slavery, so when a person had a female slave, so with her he could fulfill his uh, lust and passion. فَإِنَّهُمْ غَيْرُ مَلُومِينَ So there there was no blame. Quran goes on to say Whoever fulfills his pleasure and desires, besides that, beside the wife or the female slave, they are the ones who have transgressed the limits. Therefore, Abdullah bin Abbas used to say, that every private part beside these two, beside the wife or the female slave, that is haram. Now today when you study Shia Azam and they have written books, they give it out, they distribute it. I have got a book in Arabic, in Urdu, in English. So they speak about muta and they speak about the virtues of it, Allah forbid. So that muta which they are propagating, that was never permissible in Islam. Why was it never permissible in Islam? They are advocating it up to this day, even for a person who is in his hometown. They say, for example, a person is at home, he's studying, and this is openly mentioned in their literature, that now you are studying, now the boy and girl go to college or to university or whatever, so now they have a temporary marriage. They call that muta, temporary marriage. So they say that for six months, for one year, for two months we get married, and obviously for the youth it seems to be something very exciting and very, very, you know, good that now we are not living in sin and now this is a mutual agreement Remember, the one imam, they call him imam, obviously we say that he is a great person. Jafar al-Sadiq radiallahu rahimahullah used to say that al-mut'atu hiya zina, that mut'ah is 100% zina and fornication and adultery. So therefore, if you ask a person today, even a Shia, I have asked many of them this question when we speak about it. I say, you say that mut'ah is acceptable. Will you accept it that for your daughter that she goes into muta today with somebody, six months later on with somebody else, then with the one next year with somebody else, then you can see the frown. They themselves feel ashamed and they look down upon it. You can try it yourself. So it shows it is an immoral system. If somebody wants to say, but how did Islam allow it? We know initially. So we will say and respond. You know, Islam came about with the evolutionary process. Wasn't alcohol also permissible initially? It was permissible. 
But you do not take the initial rulings. We take the final ruling. So if somebody comes and say, Dad, wasn't it permissible once upon a time? We'll say yes. So if he says that, okay, I can drink, he can drink alcohol, we will say that you do not look at the first phase, you look at the last stage where the final rulings were made. So Nabi salam made it haram ila yawmil qiyamah till the day of qiyamah. And sahabas also knew it as haram. Sayyidina Umar radiallahu ta'ala anu also mentioned it. The Shias turn it around and say Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anu made muta haram. How can Sayyidina Umar made something haram? That he just re-emphasized what Nabi salam said. So therefore we appeal to the youth that remember to not fall in the strap of the shaitan that and you think that you are living a clean life and muta is permissible is absolutely haram and not permissible in islam anybody who indulges in this remember the children are illegitimate and you are living in sin jazakallah mufti sir for that wonderful explanation the topic we have on discussion today is the prohibited nikahs in islam and the next question we have is what is nikah tahlil Nikah tahlil we all know in Islam that the husband and wife, they get married. The intention is to love for ta'abid. Ta'abid means you love happily ever after, just to use the terminology, and that, inshallah, both parties will cooperate and share their love and respect and compassion with one another. And that is what marital life is all about. You give and you take and you forgive, you cry together, you are happy together. The moments of joy, the moments of sadness, all that is a partnership. That is what marriage is all about. Remember the husband, I always say this, that you are the Amir. Amir means that you have added responsibilities. You are not the Amir. You are not the dictator. And that is where many of our husbands and the men go wrong. They do not understand that what they are responsible. They just think that they are the Amir, the captain, and they just start dictating. So that's totally wrong. Islam hasn't taught us that. So we need to understand this properly. Now, when we study about Islamic system, you know, if you just look at the Quran, you can compare it with anything, any constitution, you will just go down into Sajda and say, Ya Allah, you are perfect. And your code, which you have given us, the Sharia, is perfect also. Husband, wife, things don't work out. Quran says, Fa'idhu hunna. Then you give them advice, admonishment, such advice that can soften their heart. If you analyze the word, wa'az. Then, Still the wife doesn't listen. Then the Quran says that separate the beds, meaning you, the husband, withhold the conjugal rights. Then the Quran says, still she doesn't listen. You can hit them. Hit does not mean you assault them and wife battering. That's absolutely haram. You cannot touch the face. You cannot leave wounds and scars and marks on her. Those who even raise their hand on their wife, they are not good people. So all these are the laws of Sharia. Now the, all these steps do not work. Then bring in the arbitrators. وَإِنْ خِفْتُمْ شِقَاقَ بَيْنِيمَا فَبْأَثُوا حَكَمًا مِنْ أَهْلِهِ وَحَكَمًا مِنْ أَهْلِهَا So you bring in an arbitrator from the husband's side, the wife's side, and they should try and reconcile, bring about the reconciliation. And if there is a separation, then that also should be done, obviously, in consultation with the husband and wife. So these are all steps that are preliminary before divorce. Now the other way around, what happens if the husband is not fulfilling the rights of the wife, he is deserting her, he has fallen in love with another woman, 
وَإِن قُرْآن addresses this وَإِن اِمْرَأَةٌ خَافَتْ مِنْ بَعْلِيَا نُشُوزًا أَوْ اِعْرَادًا فَلَا جُنَاهَ عَلَيْهِمَا اَيُّسْلِحَا بَيْنَهُمَا سُلْحَا The Qur'an says there's no harm in them that they reconcile وَسُلْحُ خَيْرٌ And reconciliation is the best So it shows when there's a problem between husband and wife And the fault lies with the husband Maybe he is now neglecting his wife Not looking after Not having conjugal rights with her So whatever the problem is The wife should try her level best to reconcile because that is in her interest and maybe there are children there now the children for them it's better that they live in the same home with the father and mother than rather growing up in a broken home so all these are factors Allah's deen Allah's divine command has taken into consideration now if divorce takes place now today we see the husbands that because of this Sayyidina Umar radiallahu and used to punish them in publicly as mentioned in Sunan Sa'id bin Mansur that they issue three talaks and they issue it in one place, one time. Now the Quran says, if you gave three talaks, right? Whether it is over a period of time or you gave it one at one in one place, one time, you gave the triple divorce, what they call. فَلَا تَحِلُّ لَهُ حَتَّى She, this wife, is not halal for her husband till she marries somebody else. And not only marrying that person there, the second husband, after the idda and everything, she gets married. He must consummate this marriage. So Islam has used this also, that you husband, the first husband, you should never ever think of divorcing your wife three times because this was what would happen to your wife. And you know that any normal person would just find it something repugnant that now someone is going to sleep with his wife, although they're going to perform nikah. So it is a deterrent, never ever give three talaks. Look at the beauty of Islam. Nevertheless, now they perform the second nikah. But now this person here, he tells that first husband, don't worry. I'll just have a good time with your wife consummate the marriage one night I'll just be like a one night stand and whatever like nowadays Allah forbid they have and then I will give divorce to the wife and then she will go back into idda and she'll be halal for the first husband again Nabi alayhi salam has said as mentioned in Tirmidhi Allah curses the second husband and the first husband so that nikah is null and void is not valid and that is the verdict of majority of the scholars so it shows Islam brought about a system to preserve our you know cleanliness and our chastity and a pure environment and society not an environment that people are Shamed. Imagine if Islam had to allow a thing like this. So talaq would become a joke, nikah would become a joke, and the whole sanctity attached to it would be undermined. So therefore, this nikah also is considered as null and void. Jazakallah Mufti Sahib, if you just join us, the program is called Al-Fiqh Al-Madhahib Al-Arba'ah, that is jurisprudence according to the four schools of thought, and today the discussion is the prohibited nikahs in Islam. Mufti Sahib, we have another question and it reads, can one marry two sisters at one time? In Islam, one person cannot marry two sisters at one time because the Quran says, You cannot get married to two sisters at one time. Yes, you marry to one sister, then she passes away, then you marry the other one, it's fine. Sayyidina Uthman radiallahu married Nabi alayhi two daughters, Hazrat Ruqayya, Hazrat Umm Kulsum radiallahu ta'ala anhum. So this was why he was called Dhunnurain, the person possessing two lights. 
But if a person now marries two sisters one time, definitely that's not permissible in Islam. And if he divorced the first one, and now that he gets married to the second one, there also he has to wait till the idda expires, and then only can he marry the second sister, so or the second daughter of the other person there. So it shows that these are prohibitions clearly enshrined in the Noble Quran. Jazakallah Mufti Sahib for that wonderful explanation Unfortunately we've just run out of time That's all the time that we have for today Inshallah we will carry on with the discussion On Nikah in future Jazakallah for tuning into the program Al-Fiqh al-Madhahib al-Arba'ah From myself Muhammad Musa Bera Mufti Abdul Qadir Hussain It's Fi Amanillah Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh